0: Hi, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Unexplained Mysteries is taking a break this week for the holidays and highlighting two of our favorite episodes from 2022. Enjoy the best of Unexplained Mysteries and be sure to join us next week for all new episodes. Thanks for listening and have a happy new year. In the spring of 2009, writer Cassie Silva's life flashed before her eyes. She was aboard a tiny plane in Peru, breaking her number one rule. Never get on a small aircraft without beverage service.
0: But today was an exception. She took a deep breath and remembered why she was here, to travel through Peru. While in the country, she needed to see a famous and mysterious landmark for herself, and that required a bumpy plane ride.
1: As the aircraft bobbed up and down, Cassie peered out the window. The sprawling red desert captivated her, and then she saw what she was looking for.
0: The formation looked like a giant chalkboard drawing on the desert floor. Even from so many feet above, it was massive.
1: Cassie grabbed her camera and focused on the art below. As the image sharpened, she pressed the button to snap the picture. In a single move, she photographed one of the world's strangest sights, an ancient artwork that has baffled archeologists for centuries, one whose purpose we still don't understand, the Nazca Lines.
0: Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly.
1: And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer.
0: Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our first episode on the Nazca Lines. Dating back thousands of years, these giant Peruvian desert drawings are shrouded in mystery. They're best viewed from above, via plane, and their purpose is still up for debate to this day.
0: Today, we'll delve into how the Nazca Lines were discovered and the question of who made them. We'll meet an accomplished researcher who tried to determine why they were built and uncovered a stellar explanation
1: in the process. Next time, we'll cover some wild, bizarre explanations about the Nazca Line's purpose. We'll also weigh the possibility that more could be out there, waiting to be discovered. We
0: have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. The Nazca Lines are a group of vast, mysterious formations in Peru's Nazca Desert, located some 200 miles south of Lima. As their name suggests, some are straight lines that run up to 30 miles in length. Others are huge pictures of animals, trees, plants, and geometric shapes, all etched into the dirt. These drawings span anything from 50 to 1,200 feet. To help put that in perspective, the largest ones are about the size of the Empire State Building.
1: Archaeologists and tourists alike are fascinated by the creations and their many unanswered questions, especially their origins. Two major mysteries are who made them and what are their purpose.
0: The answers to those questions could reveal what Peru was like thousands of years ago because the story of these phenomena started long before the lines were first discovered in the modern era. But much of what we know about ancient Peru stems from much later discoveries.
1: During the 19th century, a new style of pottery was brought to European museums. The ceramics were often painted with four or more colors, though sometimes over a dozen, and they had peculiar motifs. Animals, humans, and creatures with the characteristics of both people and animals. Some bowls, cups, and jars even had been molded into the forms of these unique beasts. The pieces came from Peru,
0: which European archaeologists hadn't really explored at the time. This was years before professionals began scouring the land, so it was unclear exactly where these ceramics had come from.
1: That is, until the late 1880s. A German-born archaeologist named Max Ula worked at a museum in Berlin and stumbled upon the pieces. He marveled at their artistry, concluding he needed to find out who'd made them.
0: Ula embarked on a decade-long quest that led him to the lower Ica Valley on Peru's southern coast. He scientifically excavated graves and documented hundreds of similar containers like the ones in the museums.
1: In October 1905, the archaeologists stopped in the Nazca Valley and found an additional 660 ceramic pieces.
0: It's unclear exactly how he came across them. Grave robbers may have given them to him. It was common for looters to steal from tombs, which may have made Ula's job easier, but it also robbed other archaeologists of the opportunity to find older pieces
1: in their original setting. Regardless of how he acquired the artifacts, Ula now had the opportunity to examine them. He initially called this pottery the newfound style of Ica, but in later publications, he simply referred to it as Nazca.
0: The name may have come from a nearby water formation. Archaeologists believed the Rio Grande de Nazca drainage, a multiple river system, was the epicenter of the potter's civilization.
1: Since the people who lived in the region didn't have a written language or records, we may never know what they called themselves. But beginning around 1912, historians dubbed them the Nazca in their research.
0: Archaeologists suspected they may have been an offshoot from another well-known community, the Paracas, who are one of the oldest and most impressive civilizations in Peruvian history. Located in the region of Ica, Peru, their culture prospered from around
1: 900 to 100 BCE. Conversely, researchers estimated the Nazca culture flourished from roughly 100 BCE to 700 CE. But it was hard to be precise given their lack of written records.
0: We do know the Nazca's domesticated local plants like potatoes, quinoa, beans, and chilies. And they raised non-native crops like corn, squash, peanuts, and tapioca. And domesticated animals like guinea pigs, muscovy ducks, and llamas.
1: These plants and animals flourished at high altitudes which were very different from the low river valleys where the Nazca people dwelt. This indicated there must have been widespread trade or movement throughout Western South America.
0: Although they were avid agriculturists, the Nazca also relied heavily on hunting. Archeologists speculate animals drew them out of the valleys and into the desert plains, and that's where they seemingly found the perfect natural canvas for their line drawings.
1: The Nazca's most famous cultural artifact is the desert formation that bears their name, the Nazca Lines.
0: But as we noted earlier, they weren't just lines. They also featured shapes and pictures drawn in the dirt called
1: geoglyphs. This term refers to an intentional human-made drawing or art form that spans over 13 feet. Unlike the paintings or sculptures you may see in a museum, Geoglyphs are created by moving or changing the Earth's surface. Stones, dirt, or other materials are configured to create a work of art. And according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the Nazca lines contain the largest geoglyphs in the world.
0: The drawings featuring living plants and animals are known as biomorphs. The Nazca drew a parrot, hummingbird, and monkey, which weren't native to the surrounding high desert. These biomorphs reinforce the idea of a vast trade network throughout South America. Travelers may have introduced these species to the indigenous people.
1: Of course, that's just speculation. We don't know much about Nazca culture, and less about the Nazca lines. We can only make assumptions based on bits and pieces of intriguing details. Which prompts the question, why
0: did they go to all that trouble to make these images? This mystery has plagued archaeologists since modern researchers rediscovered them in the early 20th century. In
1: 1926, Peruvian archaeologist Toribio Mejia Cespe hiked the sandy hillside on the southern coast of Peru. He looked down from the top of the foothills into the desert plain next to the Nazca Valley.
0: He saw what he believed were ancient canals on the grounds below. However, Cespe soon realized the grooves weren't remnants of old waterways, but incredibly detailed carvings etched onto the desert floor.
1: These lines were massive and stretched long distances in the region. Cespe hadn't been able to discern their full scope until he reached the top of the hill. The carvings had essentially been hidden in plain sight. Cespe was
0: credited as the first archaeologist to discover the Nazca Lines, but he didn't complete a more thorough examination in 1926. This is likely because he didn't have the time. He was committed to join a different archaeological expedition the following year.
1: But after his accidental discovery, Cespe did publish his limited research. He speculated the lines were ancient ceremonial roads. This made him the originator of the Nazca Labyrinth interpretation.
0: A labyrinth is an intricate and often twisty maze. It features a singular path leading to its center. They first appeared in human history well over 4,000 years ago and were used for walking meditation and other rituals. Sometimes, full processions of people would wander through a labyrinth for ceremonial purposes.
1: Cespe's explanation fit with the winding, twisty lines that formed the geoglyphs, but it was incomplete. The formations were so much more than anything he speculated, and the key to unlocking their true purpose Lay in the sky. Coming
0: up, a remarkable woman strives to solve the Nazca lines mystery.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hear that?
0: Now, back to the story.
1: In the 1920s, Peruvian archaeologist Toribio Mejia Cespe first spotted a glimpse of the Nazca Lines from a hillside. After he studied the formations, he believed they were a labyrinth, but he didn't dive deeper, likely because he had to focus on different archaeological projects.
0: So, the mystery surrounding these formations didn't gain traction until a major technological innovation came about, commercial aviation.
1: While the Wright brothers had already invented working airplanes in 1903, fewer than 6,000 airline passengers had flown by the mid-20s. So in 1927, the extremely wealthy Guggenheim family established a fund to develop an airplane template. They hoped to come up with a successful blueprint airlines could use. It might persuade the American public that commercial air travel could be safe, convenient, and affordable.
0: Their plan worked. Between 1926 and 1929, air travelers ballooned from fewer than 6,000 people to almost 173,000. And one decade later, in the 1930s, that number grew to nearly a million people.
1: Airplanes took the world by storm and critically led to some groundbreaking developments regarding the Nazca Lines. As the craft started to fly over the formations, travelers finally saw their intricacy and vastness from 35,000 feet. Tourists clamored to see the biomorph drawings and take
0: photos of the infamous frigate bird or sea plant designs. From these great heights, archaeologists and historians located more than 1,000 geoglyphs in total. As public excitement spread, American history professor Paul Kosok decided to visit Peru in
1: 1939. Kosok taught at Long Island University in New York and was an expert on ancient irrigation systems. He believed the Nazca Lines could be part of such a structure, and he became the first scholar to study them in depth.
0: Soon after his arrival in Peru, He walked into a café owned by an American woman named Amy Meredith. He was there to meet Amy and her friend, a renowned expert in math, astronomy, and geography. Just the sort of researcher who could help solve the archaeological mystery.
1: Her name was Dr. Maria Rieke, and she was a woman ahead of her time. She'd been born in Germany in 1903 when many women didn't pursue higher education. But Rika defied the odds of her generation. By the late 1920s, she'd graduated with three different degrees in mathematics, astronomy, and geography.
0: Unfortunately, by this point, Nazi party leader Adolf Hitler was on the rise. So Rika decided to leave home and take her expertise around the world.
1: Luckily, she was fully equipped to do so. She spoke five different languages and was fluent in English and French. In 1932, she traveled to Peru to teach at the German consulate in Cusco.
0: By the time she left the consulate two years later in 1934, she'd fallen in love with the country. She stayed, teaching math and working as a German translator in Lima.
1: When Rika met Kosok, she was enthusiastic about archaeology generally, and about his work specifically. She said it was her destiny to explore the Nazca lines with him.
0: So Kosok and Rika left Lima and trekked 200 miles south to Nazca. As soon as she saw the lines for herself, Rika knew she wanted to see and learn as much as she could.
1: However, that was easier said than done. It took seven long years of toiling before they had their first breakthrough. At sunset on the evening after the winter solstice, June 22, 1941, the pair stood at one of the straight Nazca lines discussing their research.
0: They looked up at the lowering sun and it seemed to descend right over the end of the line they were standing on like the trench had been designed to align with the setting sun. Kosok and Raika wondered if the line formations could be a celestial calendar. This one might be a solstice line, which is just what it sounds like, a line that points to the exact spot where the sun sets on the summer or winter solstice. Other structures incorporate solstice lines into their design, including Stonehenge, Machu Picchu, and Los Angeles' Griffith Observatory.
1: The Nazca solstice line notion was only an unproven theory, but it completely changed the course of Rika's career. She left teaching and dedicated the rest of her life to the geoglyphs. To prove their idea,
0: she and Kosok had to first investigate Cespe's ceremonial roads hypothesis, the allegation that the Nazca lines were a labyrinth. But this posed a challenge. Not only did Rika and Kosok need to compile enough evidence to confirm or debunk Cespe, they also had to navigate a tricky social situation. Rika and Cespe had once worked together, sort of.
1: Years earlier, at Peru's National Museum, Rica had supervised the restoration and repair of some 2,000-year-old Peruvian cloths. Cespe and Julio Teo had found these fabrics on Paracas mummies in the mid-1920s. Dating to sometime between 200 and 300 BCE, they were considered some of the most impressive woven pieces in history. The discovery was groundbreaking, a boon to Cespe's reputation.
0: But that didn't mean his theory about the Nazca lines was the best.
1: To support his alternative explanation, Kosok ordered aerial photos of the lines and Ryka planned to visit them on December 21st, the summer solstice in the southern hemisphere. If their speculation was correct, the etchings would align with the sun that day.
0: Sure enough. Rika didn't just find one line that pointed to the Sun, she found multiple. This lent credence to the celestial calendar explanation. When Kosok learned of her discovery, he proclaimed the Nazca Lines were, quote, "...the largest astronomy book in the world."
1: The findings were incredible, but Rika was far from finished with her research. She still didn't know what purpose the Nazca Lines served. Yes, they could track the sun's progress, but that didn't tell her why the Nazca people made them and what they meant. She'd have to dig deeper. In
0: 1948, Kosok left Peru and the project, letting Rika take the reins. By this point, RICA had explored one of the geoglyphs further away on the Paracas Peninsula and found broken bits of pottery on site she recognized the pieces right away. They looked similar to the Paracas artifacts she'd once helped restore.
1: The Paracas people were now well known for their elaborate woven textiles, like those Cespe found, but they also made ceramics. In 200 BCE, they started to experiment with a different type of pottery decoration. Many historians used this shift to help mark the point where the Paracas culture declined and the Nazca culture appeared. Though they were similar to
0: Paracas art, Nazca pottery and other crafts were much more complex. Archaeologists believe they used the images on their pieces to tell stories. Although they didn't write anything down, they still preserved important ideas and narratives through imagery.
1: More to the point, the geometric shapes and mythical creatures they depicted were very similar to the Nazca lines. It cemented historians' belief that all this artwork was the product of one culture.
0: Of course, Rika couldn't prove this yet because she didn't have any way of knowing when the lines were created. But the ceramics could help solve that mystery. If Rika knew how old the fragments were, it would give her a rough timeline for when the geoglyphs were dug.
1: And the results would illuminate many of the answers Rika sought. Not only would she learn how old the lines were, she could also determine how they'd been built and why.
0: Coming up, Dr. Maria Rika unlocks a
1: key secret. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.
0: I am just praying to God, this is
1: a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Now, back to the story.
1: In the mid-20th century, Dr. Maria Rieke found pottery near the Nazca Lines, She wanted to use these fragments to pinpoint when the geoglyphs were made. After running their studies, Reike and other archaeologists concluded the
0: lines weren't all dug at the same time. This led to the modern belief about the line's age that there were three distinct construction periods.
1: The oldest were from roughly 500 to 300 BCE. The builders created glyphs by piling stones into their proper shapes. The second period,
0: from around 400 to 200 BCE, corresponded with the Paracas culture. It was also the time Rica's pottery came from. During this era, the ancient people also piled stones into shapes, except these geoglyphs were built on hillsides so they could be seen from the desert
1: floor. The final period was from 200 BCE to 500 CE, the Nazca period. The majority of the surviving lines were from this era. Unlike the previous geoglyphs, these were created by scraping the earth away to remove the top layers of rock. In other words, while the earlier pieces were piled above the ground, these were etched into the soil.
0: This was a huge discovery, but it didn't bring Rika any closer to proving her celestial calendar hypothesis. But she was finding more evidence to support her explanation.
1: In the decades after she took the helm in Nazca, Rika discovered 18 animal biomorphs, which she believed had astronomical significance. For example, she thought the spider biomorph represented the constellation Orion.
0: No matter where you are in the world, the entirety of Orion is visible from November to February. Its unique position means when it's in the sky, it rises around 9 p.m. and sets near dawn, reaching its peak at about 1 or 2 in the morning. Whether you're in Asia, Europe, North America, or Peru, you can set your clock to this constellation, making it an important stellar body when it comes to timekeeping.
1: But arguably, the most fascinating geoglyphs aren't pictures like this, but the plane lines themselves. Some run for up to 30 miles, but they're almost all perfectly straight. It's like they were drawn with a ruler. Even the varied terrain couldn't knock these furrows off their course.
0: Without modern tools, it would be incredibly tedious and time-consuming to make such a perfect line. And many overlapped each other, intersecting at various points and adding to the complexity.
1: Reike didn't understand how the lines and biomorphs had been created, but there were plenty of theories to explore. Some believed the creators used hand tools to scrape away at the surface of the rocks. Many stones had been oxidized to a deep rust color, which could be removed with some effort. The architects would have etched away the top 12 to 15 inches until they revealed the light sandy surface underneath.
0: This was no simple task. Remember, some of the geoglyphs sprawled across 1,200 feet, about a fifth of a mile. Vast pictures like these needed immense labor and planning.
1: So if they used this method, they'd likely need some kind of labor system. A large collection of diggers and artists all collaborating together.
0: If you've ever belonged to a committee or club, you know how hard it can be to get everyone to cooperate, even when you share the same goals. And the Nazca builders may have had an even more difficult time, as they didn't have a central government to oversee their endeavors.
1: Instead, some anthropologists believe the Nazca had what they call chiefdoms. Think of several small groups, each of which had one local leader who holds their position through cunning or might. To support
0: this explanation, archaeologists used grave sites to decipher some Nazca people's social class. To this day, funerals and caskets often indicate the amount of wealth either the deceased or their family
1: had. But Nazca graves were fairly uniform. Some bodies were buried with more goods than others, but there weren't any other obvious differences from one tomb to the next. This could be because grave robbers had removed artifacts that would have revealed more about the Nazca class system. Alternatively, it might mean they had a fairly egalitarian society where everyone within a chiefdom shared with their neighbors.
0: So, if there was no central government, And they didn't force anyone to build the Nazca Lines. Perhaps the ancient people had some help in building the geoglyphs.
1: But Rika believed the Nazca people made the formations alone. Their only assistance were the stars. She mapped out every known line and linked them to celestial events until she thought she understood how they were created. In 1976,
0: Rika explained that before the ancient communities built a grand geoglyph, they practiced with a smaller six-foot plot. She found some of these smaller etchings near a few of the larger formations. Then, they
1: broke up the miniature drawing to anchor the larger version. Imagine you have to draw a triangle with perfectly straight lines. You may find the easiest way to do this is by first drawing three dots. Then you can trace against a ruler or another straight edge to make them into a triangle.
0: The Nazca seemingly used the same method, but on a much grander scale. They'd drive two stakes into the ground to mark the ends of one line. Then they'd stretch a rope between the stakes. If they needed to dig a curved line or a circle, they'd drive a stake into the center, then trace an arc around it, like using a compass in geometry class.
1: They could even create complex curves with two linked arcs. Rika saw ancient stones at key points that supported the idea they were there for measurement.
0: In her book, The Mystery on the Desert, Rika shared her speculations, like that the giant monkey geoglyph was the Nazca version of the Great Bear Constellation. Its movement across the night sky was used to mark time and predict the onset of the rainy season.
1: The publication wasn't only a matter of pride for her. All the proceeds from her book went to the preservation of the Nazca Desert. Rica also hired guards to protect the lines while she lobbied the Peruvian government to take care of the landmark. She had good reason to worry. The geoglyph's
0: proximity to a major highway meant there was always the risk an errant or out-of-control vehicle could churn up the ground, damaging the etchings. Likewise, pedestrian foot traffic and vandalism were ongoing concerns.
1: Rica's efforts finally paid off decades later. The government agreed to restrict public access while also campaigning for viewing towers near the drawings. This way, visitors can appreciate them without coming close enough to cause damage. Then, in 1995, UNESCO declared the lines a World Heritage Site.
0: It's clear Dr. Raiko played an invaluable role in the preservation of the Nazca lines. Peru's president, Alberto K. Fujimori, went so far as to suggest the geoglyphs should be renamed for Rika.
1: Additionally, thanks to her tireless efforts, Rika's celestial calendar idea became one of the most mainstream explanations for the Nazca lines. But there are still other alternative notions. Some are rather fringe, while others have strong evidence to back them up.
0: While some formations track the sun's movement or the constellations, many of the lines don't easily correspond to any celestial bodies. This suggests they were built for some other reason that has nothing to do with the calendar.
1: Rika's protege, Phyllis B. Pitluga, suggested these formations might be counter-constellations. These are the uneven dark patches within the twinkly belt of the Milky Way. Perhaps these etchings
0: are supposed to tell us something about the sky, but it's hard to say what their significance could be. If they're not related to the calendar, or any stars that are visible from Earth, they might contain a secret message pertaining to another planet, or the people who live on it. Perhaps the lines were created or inspired by aliens.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with part two of The Nazca Lines. For more information on The Nazca Lines, amongst the many sources we used, we found History's Greatest Mysteries, The Nazca Lines, by the Charles River Editors, and the article The Nazca Lines, A Life's Work by Ana Maria Cogorno-Mendoza, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: See you next time. And remember,
0: never take we don't know for an answer.
1: Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Haley Ross, edited by Mallory Cara and Angela Jorgensen, fact checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Travis Clark. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.